0: Welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany and I'm Chris and this week we are looking at the theme of love within Harry Potter. So to start us out we have a quote and this quote comes from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix towards the very end of the book and it's After Sirius has died, and Dumbledore is talking with Harry.
1: I cared more for your happiness than your knowing the truth. More for your peace of mind than my plan. More for your life than the lives that might be lost if the plan failed.
0: Yeah, up until this point. When you're reading the books for the first time, you're like, always like, oh, yeah, Dumbledore's coming in and you're, he's going to have his nice wisdom moment. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time you really see he was keeping a lot yeah. from Harry. And so it's first you're like, oh, Dumbledore, like you should have told him. And then you you have this quote and you can, yeah, I think, understand a little bit more that sometimes the most loving thing to do towards a person is complicated Mm. yeah i mean there were several different things in there of him wanting him to be happy him wanting Mm. to not have this burden him caring more about that than this plan that could save lives and and after this point he doesn't do that anymore
1: well he, he keeps the one big thing uh, no,
0: he doesn't do that anymore, like, not put the plan first. Oh, he puts gotcha. the plan first. Yeah. Know?
1: Yeah, I think it's a powerful moment because you really see how Dumbledore is grappling with his decisions. hmm And especially coming to know what the plan ultimately really does entail, looking back on this and seeing how he really loves Harry, how he, he not only loves Harry because he's a loving person but because harry becomes special to him for all the things that he does and the decisions that he makes and so that makes it so much harder for him to do the things that he does tell harry about and the things that he doesn't yet tell mm-hmm. harry about
0: yeah i would not want to be in dumbledore's position at all yeah. <laughs> because you see this kid who time and time again will sacrifice himself for others mm-hmm. And you have to let him and you have to set him up for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how much of a sacrifice that becomes for Dumbledore. Yeah. But, you know, I've also, the way that he talks about, you know, at the end of the first year, you start asking me these questions. And I said, oh, he's too young. And the second Mm -hmm. year, he said, oh, he's only a year older. He's still Mm -hmm. too young. Like, I can, obviously not in the same way, but see myself sometimes having similar conversations of like, oh, maybe I'll get to that next week. I still have Mm -hmm. time, but still coming from this place of things that you're convincing yourself are best for yourself and the people who you care about. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, in my early 30s, to look at two cousins that I have who are 13 and almost 15, to think about them having to deal with this sort of burden yes. is ridiculous but then to think of Dumbledore being like post 100 mm-hmm. looking at this kid it's it's a lot but y- you would think you could say well maybe you should ask them do you want to know information that is mm-hmm. going to be burdensome for you but knowing Harry of course you'd be like course, yes yeah, I want right. to know <laughs> so yeah it's it's a tough situation for it really sure. is But why don't we get into our character and plot? What character do you have?
1: I wanted to talk about Voldemort.
0: That's a certainly loving character. (laughs)
1: Uh, Obviously not that. (laughs) Um, But I think that Voldemort is a character who is in many ways defined by his relationship to love, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly through his lack of love and lack of loving behavior. You know, talking about Dumbledore and Harry it's why he is such a great antagonist to them because they are in so many ways defined by love. Harry is protected by his mother's love, the sacrificial love that she she gave to him, this this selfless love. Whereas Voldemort protects himself through a selfish love of himself and a selfish death whereas hers is a self a loving death his is a selfish death of mm-hmm. others. I think that that, you know, not only connects them because Harry is a Horcrux, but because they have very different ways of engaging with this magic that exists. And I think that Voldemort's lack of love is kind of coded as being about the way that he didn't have love in his own life as a child, not only being raised in an orphanage, but even before that being conceived of through essentially rape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the use of magic to force a person to father him. And even after that, his mother dies in childbirth, but neither of his wider families accept him. His dad and his family would reject him for being part of this witch and this low-class person, and then the other side of the family just doesn't have a lot of love at all. Yeah, And then the the orphanage seems like it's... I mean, orphanages generally are not great places for children. <laughs> but I'll, I don't necessarily think that that means that it can't be a place with love. The woman who's in charge that Dumbledore talks to in the, the flashback seems to at least care, even if she's afraid of him. And that mm-hmm. fear might affect the way that he's engaged. But did he instill fear because he already couldn't love? Or was he raised in a way that he didn't feel loved and that made him want to instill fear. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's an interesting dichotomy.
0: I mean, couldn't love is maybe a little strong.
1: I think that's the biggest issue I have with this, because I think that certainly I've seen this discussed in in kind of fan forums and things like that. And I think that it's implied in a lot of ways in the text of that because he was conceived in the way that he was, he is kind of incapable of love. And I don't love that. It's not
0: canon, right? Right. But it's an interpretation. Yeah. Like me, I read him as doing things not because he's not capable necessarily, but because of issues that he has that he doesn't deal with and doesn't want to deal with.
1: Yeah. I think that that's one of the problems I have with this, this idea that he's incapable of love, which is that that is the kind of thing that is thrown at people who maybe suffer from mental illness or maybe you're just racist and you don't think they're human or whatever it might be that has been thrown at people to make them seem, in your eyes, less human. Also to dehumanize them by not exp- trying to actually understand why. They may have committed awful, awful acts, but just because someone committed awful acts doesn't mean that they are incapable of love. And I think that that is a dehumanizing perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the one thing that I think that that we do see is that he, he has love for Hogwarts. He has love for this location where he, he was able to succeed, to find himself in some ways, to get popular, but that wasn't really tied to the people of Hogwarts. And I'm really interested in that, how he seems to have this great fondness for the castle, for its history, for its power, but not for the relationships that he has there. And I think that, especially juxtaposed to Harry, that's very different. Harry is able to be himself in a way at Hogwarts that he was never able to be beforehand because he's surrounded by people who accept him or accept parts of him. And I think that his love of Hogwarts is relational in a way that we don't see Voldemort being the same way, at least from what we experience of his time there. So yeah, I just I think that he's a character who's very interesting because he butts up against these concepts of love so often, both narratively and at times explicitly in the text. And he ultimately is defeated repeatedly because he underestimates the power of love.
0: Yeah, he trivializes ideas of love and its importance and puts on a pedestal ideas of power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I don't think that Dumbledore believes that he's incapable of love hmm. because he's had conversations with him. Tom Riddle's like, oh, like that old thing, like talking about love or whatever. Mm. And and he's like, maybe you're just looking for it in the wrong places. He seems to not just believe Tom Riddle's some lost cause and there's no point in trying to give any guidance or there's no point in interacting or any of those things.
1: Yeah, even after he's accepted in many ways, Voldemort has to, has to be killed, has to be destroyed. He still, when he talks to him, does at least give the effort to say, you can stop this, you can be loving, there's other ways, there's other paradigms that you can, you can have. Understanding that Voldemort would almost certainly reject them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting thing that Voldemort is lovingly given chances, even though he gives no love to anyone, Mm. even, you know, those who follow him. It's it's rough, though, because in a sense, who knows how Harry would have been if he was better at magic, you know? Mm. If he had been able to control Dudley or Petunia or Mm. Vernon... The way that as a young kid, Voldemort could. It's hard when you have that capability and kids are mean. Kids are just mean and awful to each other all the time. And if you have the capability to make them hurt for it, I can understand that you could grow up that way. That this is the thing you love most in life is your ability to not be hurt by others. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, kids have so little self-control too. They're, you know, so little impulse control
0: where Mm -hmm.
1: if something occurs to them, they don't take the time in the same way to think about all the repercussions that could come from any kind of decision. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, a kid who's throwing a, a temper tantrum who has magical abilities could cause all sorts of havoc if they're as strong as Voldemort. And not... Have that necessarily be a definition of who they are. Just mm-hmm. that at that moment they were upset and they had power they didn't know how to control, and yeah.
0: And then they get used to using it.
1: Exactly. Especially when there's no one else around who understands to help teach. Maybe 11's too late.
0: Mm-hmm. And especially when you don't have resources. Like he has mm. nothing to fall back on. If he doesn't succeed, if he isn't the best. What options does he have? Yeah. It's complicated.
1: It is complicated. <laughs> he still is
0: doing the wrong thing all the time. Yes. but
1: And he still chooses to do those things.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially when he doesn't need to, when he is successful, when he could make it really well. He still, he chose wrong.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, which plot did you want to talk about?
0: yeah so I kind of wanted to talk about the idea of Lily's love because I think it's given so much significance in the story Mm -hmm. and and it is significant it is a significant thing that she did for Harry to sacrifice herself and you know not only would Harry not be alive with without her having done that but Voldemort would have been killing and terrorizing people for the next 10 years and mm-hmm. also in at the end of the book like Harry follows Lily's example and out of love sacrifices himself to give others protection. Yeah. And so this this is a significant thing for sure. Yet I think for a story that has this idea of love and and I think Lily's love in particular be just running through it so clearly from beginning to end I guess the past couple years have kind of questioned how loving of a character Lily actually is because yes she gave up her life but also like how many of us wouldn't sacrifice ourselves for a kid that's gonna be killed mm. like hopefully most of us would and especially a parent like if, yeah. if you decide to be a parent how can you not sacrifice your life for your kid if somebody comes in and is trying to kill them you know yeah then when we look at i think potentially more difficult places of loving i'm not sure that she measures up so i'm, I'm thinking back to when she was in hogwarts when Snape, who was her best friend for five plus years, calls her a mudblood, which is horrible, unacceptable, racist, all of these things. And so because it's, it's horrible, she should definitely be hurt and angry, mm-hmm. definitely. But he did come to her and wait for hours outside the common room to apologize to her. And she just, she wouldn't give him a second chance. She could have said, if you ever do that again, I won't interact with you. She could have said, you have to sign up for Muggle Studies next year or else I'm not going to interact with you anymore. You know, she could have, because he is her best friend for these five years, talk with him about why this is terrible and why it's so hurtful and why it's not okay of course she's not obligated to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the victim in this hate speech. But I think when we're looking at what is the loving thing to do, and not only the loving thing to do, but the loving thing to do to somebody that you love,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think to at least give them a chance to change and be better is a loving thing to do.
1: Yeah, I I do appreciate that she at least, like, calls him out for his Death Eater friends. Yeah, totally. That she does say, like, you are, you know, it's not just that you did this one thing, but this is part of a larger commitment that you're making in your life. This is how you are, the kinds of people who you are surrounding yourself with, who you are condoning their actions. So, yeah, you know, I think she's kind of drawing that line to say that that there's this problem. And I also don't know if there are other... Conversations they've had in those five years, or, or, or after this incident, um, and if this is just the worst one because he did something so awful. <laughs> but I definitely see what you're saying, and, and yeah, there's this this really hard kind of thing to navigate between wanting to to help someone be less cruel and be more loving themselves, and that being a loving thing not only for them but for the people there that they may be cruel to. Mm -hmm. But also, in a way, being loving to yourself. You know, it reminds me of conversations where people of color in our society become exhausted over having to hold the hands of white people who might be good-intentioned but aren't doing the work themselves to educate themselves and... and things like that
0: oh absolutely and that's why i say she's not obligated to do this totally but this was her best friend yeah you know it's not like some acquaintance it's not some random person who's being racist to her and if you value your friend you would think that you would at least have a conversation about it. and yes call him out for the death eater friends but also be like he's being bullied all the time mm-hmm. is the people he's spending time with does it have to do with that like are they providing him some amount of protection and you know why are we not going to the administration about this Mm -hmm. or again yeah take a muggle studies class invest in this if you actually say that you're sorry and you want to change yeah but no chances were given you know and again Not obligated to do it, but I think it's a loving thing to do. And it's a loving thing to do in a hard circumstance.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And then, not long after that, she dates and marries the person who severely bullied and tormented her former best friend. And I just, I don't understand how you can do that. Sure, James's actions shouldn't be unforgivable Mm -hmm. but they should make him unfuckable (laughs) yes i'll beep that out it
2: it was too good
0: um like i don't know how can you date someone if they haven't apologized to the person that they bullied Mm -hmm. and not just the person that they bullied like you should care about that even if it's someone that you don't know but somebody who was your best friend and this happened to that For some reason, that's okay and acceptable to you. Oh, well, he changed, but he doesn't have to apologize. He doesn't have to have accountability for these terrible things that he did. But Snape was unforgivable to her, you know? So it's just, it gets complicated with her because part of her love does have such a significance in the story. But then these other actions confuse me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that we we never really see, but it has to happen within a small number of years because they were, what, 21 when they died, Mm -hmm. and they were 15 or 16 when that scene occurred. Mm -hmm. And so within five years or so, they were married. You have to go through a lot of change in that amount of time to go from the bully that we see James being to someone who she would, yeah, want to spend her life with.
0: Yeah, but like... Clearly, We don't know about James because, again, he's dead when the story's there. But we know that Sirius didn't change. He still was bullying Snape Mm -hmm. when they met all of those years later. And she was fine interacting with him, you know. It's not like something that's never going to come up. These types of toxic, malicious attitudes are not just only active when this one person comes around, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's uh, it's really hard. And, and I think that on your earlier point, too, how you mentioned that almost anyone would sacrifice himself for their child, it makes me wonder how that kind of magic wasn't used more often. I mean, it was called a war. So, yeah, I just, I wonder if she stands out by being someone who does this, what does that say about the society at large? hmm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe part of it was that, Other people weren't given the option. Mm -hmm. Like he said, you don't have to die. You can stand aside. Right. But yeah.
1: I I think that it's different from Harry's choice at the end because his is so intentional. His is so determined. Mm -hmm. It's something that he had time to think about, time to, under his invisibility cloak, walk around and say goodbye in his own way and to really come to peace with this and also time to not do that. Time to turn back. Time to make a different choice.
0: And he was like seventeen.
1: And he was seventeen, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh <love> that boy. All <laughs> right. So yeah, very interesting. But why don't we head into our compelling questions?
0: Yeah, what do you have for me?
1: Well, we've talked a bit about the magic of sacrifice and even a little bit about the love potion that Marope mm-hmm. used. But I was wondering how you see or imagine Love reflected in magic in other ways.
0: Well, what kind of automatically comes to mind is Madame Pomfrey.
1: Hmm.
0: Because she's using magic just to fix up all of these little terrors running around yeah. and blowing things up and causing problems and definitely not enough is being done to <laughs> <laughs> mitigate injury in, Mm -hmm. in this school. And so I think, yeah, her just tirelessly working to ensure the healing and, and recovery of all of these students is definitely a loving act.
1: Yeah. The, the healers at St. Mungo's also, I think Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I I wonder if healing magic itself has that kind of just an element of intention.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what else were you thinking about?
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I had a lot on my mind about that kind of intention and that, the feeling and how that might affect spells or, or magic, not only in healing, but, you know, it reminded me of the Patronus, for example, where you think of a happy memory and mm-hmm. so often those memories are tied to love. And it, it, I also kind of get the feeling that Harry himself is often more powerful when he is protecting people. And it reminded me of kind of the opposite, which is the the Cruciatus Curse, which he's told you have to mean it. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously kind of more of a a lack of love, a cruelty or a hatred. But the one time that he means it is when someone spits on McGonagall, Mm -hmm. who I think he loves. So, you know, that, that just reminds me of love leads to fear and fear leads to hate kind of thing (laughs) but that they have these very strong emotions can sometimes play off one another but if we see that emotions and love in particular have the ability to create and affect magic i can only imagine that that's going to be done in other spells and other forms of magic as well
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i also think about the owls And how they're magical in some way. They understand what people are saying. They understand who a letter is meant for and where that person is. And so, yeah, they're kind of like little love packages.
1: Oh, that's so nice. Like, they're following, like, a love connection that only they can sense between people. That even if the person doesn't know where the other person Mm -hmm. is, they're still connected. Oh, that's really nice. (laughs)
0: Chris's heart melts. It does.
1: It's like the magical <laughs> version of like the the red string. Mm,
0: mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think Japanese.
0: Oh, is that Japanese? Culture, interesting. Isn't it? it might be. Yeah, maybe I, I'm just ignorant on that.
1: Maybe that's where I found out about it. But yeah. yeah um,
0: <laughs> I've mainly seen it in like fan art of different characters. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I think the last uh, the last thing I, I want to add just to our conversations about kind of sacrifice and sacrificial love, because it seems like that tends to be the most powerful magic that we really see at all. And it makes me wonder how that is determined, because I think that obviously it's a huge sacrifice to give up your life for someone else or for mm-hmm. other people. But I also think that that kind of sacrifice should be seen in ways that don't necessarily require death, where a character like Mrs. Weasley in many ways gives up her life for her family. You know, it's not that she doesn't necessarily choose to be a, a mother and a wife and someone who runs a household, but that is a thing where she is playing, you know, her so much of her time is devoted to providing for others. That's not a one huge decision that is ending her life, but it is decades of many, many small decisions that are still in that way kind of a loving sacrifice of of providing for someone in a way that I I wonder if that has or or if that's overlooked by these kinds of systems of magic that deal with that that sacrifice. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: But what was your question for me?
0: Yeah, so earlier we were talking about kind of the complicated nature of Dumbledore's love for Harry. Mm -hmm. And so kind of building off of that idea... Where do you see complicated loving acts in the series? Because I think life is complicated, and so I like when you get to see things that aren't just this cut and dry, this is how you love someone, you know?
1: Totally, yeah. Very interesting. The one that that kind of came out to me, uh, I think, is an example of how sometimes that complication can stymie love and that is Harry and Cho's relationship. (laughs) Yes. Because there's an attraction there, there's, you know, mutual liking, but it can never get to a place where love really blossoms because he doesn't know how to interact with her in a way that's loving when she is still processing the death of Cedric.
0: Right? It is so, so complicated and guilt-inducing for Cho. Your previous boyfriend died and now you're interested in someone else and it hasn't been that long and how do you not feel like a terrible person even though you're not, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so complicated and wrapped up in all of this grief, not to mention your teenagers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
0: then Harry, both of them had a traumatic experience mm-hmm. with that. Harry, obviously, much more so because he was actually there And so you would think that he could be someone who is more compassionate in that space. Obviously, it puts him in an awkward position. So I understand it's difficult for Harry, but he's just, he's straight up mean to her. Yeah. When they're in an argument about the DA and her defending Marietta, who she should have defended because it wasn't her fault. She was truth serumed. Exactly. Yeah. He was just mean to her about crying and stuff. And it's like, what are you doing, Harry?
1: Yeah, I, I think that Harry, his just inability to read the situation and understand what it might mean to actually have a connection with her. He, mm-hmm. he, his date is so performative where I guess I'm supposed to take you to Hogsmeade and I guess I'm supposed to take you to this tea shop and I guess I'm supposed to do this. I remember my first date at 15. It also went badly.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Your date last week went badly with me. No, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think that that, that's definitely something that it's not just this typical like, oh, boy meets girl and Mm -hmm. they flirt and then they get together where it's much more, more complicated.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, maybe a compassionate look at Harry here is... That he was so emotionally shut down when it yeah. came to Cedric and he had to do that to get by because of the trauma that he experienced that he just he couldn't connect with her on it and he didn't want to talk about it.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that he's kind of in many ways trying to maintain any kind of normalcy that he can. Part of that is, oh, you know, this person who I liked is interested in me back and let's see what we can explore there and go on a date. And now this date is about Cedric now, which I didn't think about before because I'm trying not to think about Cedric Mm -hmm. as much as I possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: totally. I think Colin is an interesting look as well. Mm. Like he likes Harry so much. He just wants to be around him. He just wants to do everything anything to be in that same space with him but it's not how harry can receive love especially at this time when all of these people are looking at him and doubting him and judging him and you have this little kid that's taking pictures of you and now Mm -hmm. it's you know Lockhart is saying, Oh, you're signing autographs, and you know, it's just making it's it even lot. worse, yes. exactly. And so, it's just it's sad because he likes Harry so much, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he was sneaking up to deliver him grapes totally when he was in the hospital. Oh, and yeah, like, absolutely, like none of his other friends were doing it. It's like such a sweet, kind act, and um, yeah, Harry just isn't able to receive it because he has. A lot he's dealing with.
1: That whole book is like that. Because it's the same with Dobby. Where he's just like, Dobby, never help me again. Dobby, like, (laughs) you're such a troublesome, you know, person. And Dobby just loves him so much. I know. (laughs) Puts
0: his face on those Christmas baubles. (laughs) Hangs them up. He's like, oh no.
1: Happily sacrifices his life for him.
0: I know. Yeah, it's Harry doesn't know how to deal with sick events.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, he really doesn't.
0: (laughs) I have a few more, of course, but do you have anything
1: else? We've talked about the Weasleys a lot in past episodes, but I think that there's some interesting familial love there that can be very complicated when they just at times don't get along with each other. Yeah, some interesting familial dynamics there for sure. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Speaking of family and problematic things, (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about Dudley, Mm. how in the end he is trying to show Harry that he cares by leaving tea outside of his door and things like that. And the history of bullying Mm. that took place from Dudley to Harry is just putting this barrier there where Harry can't understand dudley's actions as loving he thinks that he is pulling a prank on him you know and he doesn't understand how to take those things because yeah you have this really violent history with each other and it's never addressed dudley didn't come to him and say i'm sorry for Mm -hmm. how i treated you i shouldn't have done that and harry could be like yeah there were some times i didn't Treat you the best, either. <laughs> and let's try to do something different.
1: Yeah, that's also one of the few times where I felt like really alienated from this British book because I was just like, what 17 year old kid <laughs> leaves tea out as a way of trying to make amends and show that they care and take care of someone? Like,
0: British kids. Yeah, like British kids. Not, but it
1: just it's wild to me the idea yeah. of it.
0: Well, like even I mean, yes, but even the idea of him making the tea on his own. Mm-hmm. Like Harry I'm sure was always the person who had to make that or maybe totally. Petunia would do it. Yeah. But I just imagine Dudley trying to do it and like it being terrible. Tea, <laughs> and...
1: Totally totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think also petunia and snape they showed love in protecting harry from harm mm-hmm. but not from actually treating him well and so it's like doing a loving thing while also doing an abusive thing and that is so convoluted and complicated <laughs> but do you still call it love i, d- I don't know
1: yeah i mean it it, it is loving in an abstract way but it also comes with cruelty Mm -hmm. in the activity
0: and I don't even think it's loving him Hmm. I think for both of them it's loving Lily Yeah, which is even more (laughs) sad it's like there's so many people that just love other people and Harry's association with them rather than Harry himself
1: Totally. And and I think that that's one of the, the things about Harry is that even Colin loves the idea of Harry because he doesn't really get to know Harry because he can't because he mm-hmm. worships him instead of getting to know him. Yeah. And
0: he's trying to become friends. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: he's an 11 he year he old. <laughs> he's, you know, meeting his hero. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh, a way of isolating Harry even more, mm-hmm. even as he gets into the world where his magic doesn't make him a leper.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What other ones did you have?
0: Yeah, the last one I was thinking about is Hermione obliviating her parents.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: Ugh, so intense. Seriously. And I think sacrificing her relationship with her parents to keep them from torture and death is such a loving thing to do. Yeah. At the same time she doesn't let them choose whether they want to risk their own lives or not Mm -hmm. she makes the choice for them which I don't think is necessarily a loving thing to do and I imagine she doesn't want to talk with them about it because she might not think that they'll agree but yes it's complicated when you're taking away someone's ability to choose this thing that's happening to them but you're doing it for a loving reason to protect them
1: yeah i mean talk about sacrifice yes you're possibly sacrificing your relationship with them and your their knowledge of relationship with them forever if you die yeah Mm
0: yeah well and maybe forever anyways like it wasn't clear in the book that it could be reversed
1: totally and and i think that she would likely have done it even if it couldn't have been Mm -hmm. but i also think that she would have looked up and found out that it could have been
0: (laughs) yeah well, should we move into our missed opportunities?
1: That sounds good. So what's yours? Mine is in looking at the epilogue and how Harry and Ginny and Ron Hermione are, they just stay together and they have kids.
0: <laughs> what? That's the most realistic thing I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, I think that it's difficult because neither of those relationships do we see them building lasting love. And I think that's kind of where I see the missed opportunity is that, you know, and this makes sense, I think in the genre, they're teenagers and that's not the kind of thing that happens often with teenagers. But having a loving relationship is not just you fall in love. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: that you build a love together. You build a life together. You make choices and, and decisions where you are considering the other and considering each other as a unit. And because we just see... Ron and Hermione kiss once the last day. And then we see Harry and Her- and Ginny a little bit longer, but we mostly see them as Harry's happy for a couple months and then he has to give this up. And we don't see a lot of the intricacies of their relationship and especially what happens next time when Harry thinks that he has to, you know, if he becomes an Auror, if he's a wizard cop, <laughs> you know, he's probably going after dangerous, you know, does he ever again think I can't be with you because of my job because of what I'm putting on myself. Because that that's an act that, similar to Hermione's obliviation of her parents' memories, like is a love, at least the intention is loving, but a way of making a decision for someone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, also it, it just shows that he didn't trust her, mm-hmm. whereas he trusts Hermione and Ron. Yeah. Because they can go along with him, and they can put themselves in danger's way for him, for the world, but she can't.
1: Exactly. And
0: I I think with Ron and Hermione, though, they hadn't built a romantic love, but they had built a love. Of course. Over these seven years of doing all of these terrifying things and being in the highest stakes environments over and over and over again together. And it's clear their interest in each other for Quite a while for at least three or four books. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one makes a little more sense to me. But still, yeah, they're 17 and almost no relationships at age 17
1: last. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just I think that it would be great to see more stories where building of a life together and love together and, and a healthy relationship is more explicit.
0: And especially when you've been through what these kids have been through. Like, having a healthy relationship, period, is probably going to be one of the most difficult things that you would do in the rest of your life. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Especially for Harry. Absolutely. But what is your missed opportunity?
0: So mine is about Lupin offering to come on the Horcrux hunt with the trio. Hmm. I think it's so often just seen as this, like, cowardly act and that it's wrong. And I'm not 100% sold on that. I don't think that it's completely admirable or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But should your own nuclear family be more important than the people who will be genocided? No. (laughs) No. Like... He didn't need to be there. Like, would it be good? Would Tonks want that? I'm sure yes. Mm -hmm. But she did have her mom. She did have other support system and someone that they could actually trust that also didn't need to continue working to put food on the table because we know that he wasn't able to for most jobs, especially after it was revealed that he was a werewolf. He was uniquely positioned to help them. And he's good at defense against the dark arts, <laughs> and he's smart. So I, I understand why Harry was mad at him yeah. for the decision because he knows what it was like to grow up in this circumstance. And he wishes that he knew his parents and things like that. But I think from Lupin's standpoint, I don't know that it has to be just this wrong choice because if he had helped them who knows maybe they would have found the horcruxes faster and then tonks and fred and colin and lavender also wouldn't have died maybe they wouldn't have had to have this huge battle maybe teddy
1: wouldn't have been completely orphaned
0: exactly exactly so i don't think that it's cut and dry oh well this is the loving choice he should stay with his wife and as she's pregnant and be around for when the kid's born rather than what sort of world is this kid gonna be in if Voldemort wins and doing everything he can to not only help make it so that his kid hopefully wouldn't be an orphan and hopefully wouldn't grow up under a tyrannical dictator but also all of the muggles, the muggle-borns, the house elves, other magical peoples in the world, that they wouldn't have to suffer under that too.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. This makes me think of... I was, I was recently reading um, some criticism from uh, LGBTQ fans of J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. um, and of Harry Potter. I mean,
0: would we say fans of J.K. Rowling? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Of
1: Harry Potter, who are understandably critical of J.K. Rowling for a number of things. And one of the things that came up was how, for a lot of these fans, they felt like Lupin getting with Tonks at all was like a slap in the face Hmm. to the Wolfstar community, Mm -hmm. to this vibrant fan community that shipped Lupin and Sirius together. And yeah, now thinking about this as like this nuclear family, mm-hmm. this kind of height of heteronormativity yeah is in some ways forced in because we don't see them communicate until finally we see, oh, she's in love with him and, mm-hmm. you know, he's dealing with his own things. And yeah, I think I think there's a really interesting read there of him being queer coded and of J.K. Rowling certainly missing opportunities in <laughs> how he could have been represented. And how he might have navigated, even if he did get with Tonks, how that could have been navigated in a better mm-hmm. way.
0: Totally, and and I've seen some really great fan art of Tonks as non-binary, mm. and great. They like to go by Tonks. Yeah, don't call me Nymphadora. You know, and so uh, there could be an interesting read there too. But I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it wasn't explored.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean that makes so much sense too, especially with a, a character with those powers. I'm um,
0: you know. <laughs> totally right. Like. <laughs> There's a. Uh, the ultimate non binary superpower. Exactly.
1: And like, there's a couple characters who have kind of had that exploration in, in Marvel comic books and, mm-hmm. and other kinds of superhero things because I think that it's such a great metaphor and not one they deal with, they're, they they engage with. So, uh, or I should say, she engages with, JK Rowling engages with. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Before we move on to the takeaways, it would be a missed opportunity if we had this episode on love and didn't mention Luna Lovegood, because her last name is Lovegood. That's true. And I think she is possibly the most uncomplicatedly loving person. Like, she never does anything mean to anyone. Like, even all of the characters that we love and adore... All of them are at least mean or underhanded <laughs> or rude or terrible at some moment in time, mm-hmm. but she is just this beacon of love and light, and I love her.
1: Yes, she's delightful. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. But yes, now now that we've mentioned her, we can move <laughs> on to our takeaways. What's yours?
1: Yeah, I think I'm still just thinking about that question about how love interacts with powers, and so I think the next time that I would go through the books. One of the things I'd like to look for is how intentions generally and feelings affect magic Mm -hmm. and the ways that that is seen or implied or not seen in the story.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be really interesting.
1: Yeah. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think mine is that the best love written in the books is the complicated love and that isn't the romantic love. In the books, the romantic love, as we were talking about, is just kind of slapped on there without building appropriately to it making sense and it being meaningful and things like that. And as someone who, if a love story is written really well, I can really appreciate it, but when it's not, it's just like, ugh, so surface level. Like, <laughs> what even is this? And in those cases, I so much more gravitate towards the friendship love mm-hmm. and, yeah, other other types of love that are meaningful. And I think those other types of love are done better
1: in yeah. books. Yeah, for sure. Well, I really loved that discussion. Oh, dear. But what we we'll be discussing... I didn't love
0: that joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well... We are not going to be coming back next week because I am in finals. Yeah, Uh, his
0: final finals. Yeah, yeah.
1: By the time this comes out, I should hopefully have my graduate
0: degree. Exactly.
1: But need to earn that first. And (laughs) so we're going to take a week off. But after that, what will we discuss when we come back in two weeks?
0: Yeah, so we're going to return to The Hunger Games, and we are going to look at it and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes through the theme of play.
1: Play in The Hunger Games. That will be fun. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can go to patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to join our wonderful supporters who help keep the show sustainable and get access to all sorts of fun extra content. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Until then, geek out!